program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. You know, I think I've talked about it on this show before, but one thing that can be kind of, I don't know, satisfying is going back and watching a movie that you haven't watched in a really long time. It kind of feels like watching a new movie, but at the same time, you get those nostalgic feelings that reminds you why you love that movie so much. I'm talking about The Vampire Lovers. Movie from 1970. Old Hammer film. Uh, Peter Cushing. Ingrid Pitt. That's classic flick. Um, I recently picked up the Final Cut Entertainment and MGM. Uh, the Region B Blu-ray of it. The UK uh, cut. It's a restored version. The, fuck, the colors just pop. It's gorgeous restoration for this movie. And like I said, like the colors just like they, they just pop right out of the screen, among other things. Uh, and yeah, um, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. And you know, the thing is, is that no one goes back and watches these old Hammer films and they don't say stuff like, I think there's too much boob in these movies, you know, or wow, look at all these busty women. <laughs> okay, well, maybe some people do, um, you know. Twitter, I'm looking at you, but no. Uh, but the thing is, is you don't necessarily read about it in the pages of like Fangoria magazine or Rue Morgue or whatever. People accept Hammer films for what they are, and they're all considered classics. You you look up the Hammer films on IMDb, and all of them have a rating of 6 out of 10 or higher. Some of them as high as 8 and 9. Yet these are movies like, especially something like The Vampire Lovers, that you know brought this whole eroticism to... You know, to their films. I mean, sure, there's always been a sexy feeling to a Hammer film, but this one, <laughs> this one doesn't shy away from anything. 
Hence bringing me to my point. So recently, Fangoria took to uh, social media and they posted this um, article about uh, a certain movie that came out in the 90s. And they were talking about like the locker room tropes of the movie and the sexist portrayals of young teenager, uh, teenagers and teenage life in high school and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, because like, you know, it doesn't exist now either. But anyways... The thing is, is this movie, The Faculty, came out in the 90s. It came out when it did, and it's beloved by many. As a lot of people will tell you, The Faculty is probably one of the higher-rated teen horror flicks of the 90s. Uh, I've seen it in many different, you know, like people online will be like, oh, my favorite movies of this, you know, decade or whatever. And The Faculty always ends up in the top five whenever other, you know, People are talking about the 90s and what they love about 90s horror movies like Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, Shit, I'm striking blanks here. But the faculty pops up in there as well. Um, And the thing is, 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 it's this. Is it a perfect movie? No. Hell no. It's definitely not a perfect movie. But again, as I said about Candyman last week, no one is asking it to be. We wanted something entertaining. That's what the faculty is. And I'm not going to lie. I, myself personally, the faculty, I didn't technically get a full run through of that movie till just last year. I know it's sad, eh? I grew up in the 90s. I watched all those movies. But it's kind of weird that with the faculty, I always saw a bit here, a bit there, a bit here, a bit there, but never watched it fully straight through until about last year. And the thing is, is that okay? I watch it myself. I understand that Everyone today, especially in the social media era, we all want to have our say. You know, it, hence, what am I doing right now? I'm having my say on a podcast that doesn't matter, but hey, it's there. It's my thoughts, and I seriously like. I, I I do get it. I do get why people make these commentaries and they look back on these movies and they go, "Oh, well, like you know, Monster Squad said the word retard and faggot," and people will get upset about that. Yeah, they probably will. But the thing is, is that we also keep in mind. The time frame, we keep in mind when these movies were filmed, when they came out, and back then, things weren't as sensitive to people's feelings as they are today. And the thing is, is that when you approach a movie like The Faculty, and you're trying to shame it for, you know, for views that it exposes, in actuality, that I might also add, would actually exist in a teenage setting today... Uh, you know, minus the aliens, of course, but, um, but you're shaming a movie and then not to mention that right before you, you know, shots fired on the movie, the author of the article writes, but I do love this movie. Well, if you love this movie, then why are you sitting there trying to analyze the fuck out of it to point out something that most people didn't even realize was there because we're too busy enjoying the movie for what it is. And I know you're saying your podcast, Paul. Yes, you're not wrong. But the thing is, is that, yes, many horror films do have something to say. Many horror films do have social commentaries attached to their narrative runtimes. Um, hence, Candyman, like I spoke about last week. But then there's also horror films that are just made to be fun, old, immature, stupid, teenage, rompy escapes from reality and nothing more. And... That's where I look at something like The Vampire Lovers. You know, it was meant as an adaptation of the famous Carmilla novel, you know, by Sheridan Le Fanu. And 
it, it had a pretty obvious touch of lesbian eroticism to its mystique. Which, to be fair, I know everyone hates Canadians when we say that, to be fair, but <laughs> the theme of lesbian vampire, you know, uh, of it existing in that film was in the original story as well. So, hashtag Warriors of the World, please refrain from attempting to try and bring awareness to something that we've all been aware of since 1872. Not everything has to be a 2021 hashtag of awareness through a blatant ignorance of the repetition of history. And now on with the show. Because from the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero, the home of pumpkin-headed killers, mistresses of the dark, and haunted houses too, I welcome you back to What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul. Some might call me offensive, but hey, it is what it is. Um, no, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to point out that, you know, I understand. And I do it too on my podcast. I'm not, I'm not, you know, claiming that I'm someone better than everybody else. You know, we, we analyze these movies. Sometimes we do it a little unfairly. But when I was reading about the faculty, and the worst part was, was I, it took so much for me to finish reading the article because it just seemed like for someone who claimed that they loved this movie it seemed like they literally went to all ends of the world to find everything wrong with it and it was like well, then I, I don't know how you can say you love that movie I mean like I said on the last episode I, I finally gave Black Christmas 2019 a chance I didn't finish it but I also am not going to go to the other end of the world to prove everything wrong about it it is what it is but enough about that as some of you may have noticed um through your favorite podcasting streaming apps or it, the Facebook page, um, the Instagram page for What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. Yes, I kind of updated the logo uh, imagery for the show, kind of gave it a Halloween feel to it. The thing is, is I'm thinking of keeping it even well after the Halloween season. I actually like the look of the logo. I mean, I kept the lettering the same, but... That's got like a jack-o'-lantern feel and whatnot. So I probably might keep it well after Halloween because we all know that every day is Halloween on this show. But um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Let me know what you think. Maybe, you know, if you happen to uh, spin around the social media a bit and you take a look at it and whatnot, maybe let me know what you think. I also kind of have been on a bit of a pumpkin kick lately, uh, which all started because uh, Facebook page and the Instagram page of course for Nostalgia Video uh, posted about a certain 1995 direct-to-video movie that I kind of had to go back and watch again. Um, sadly, I don't have a physical copy of it. Um, I did years ago. I think I bought it used at Top Gun Video if I remember correctly. Anyway, this movie I'm talking about is Jacko from 1995, which if you've seen it Oh my god. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it. And I know I did own it at one point. I think I sold it in a yard sale or something. Because back then, I don't know. I don't think I appreciated it as much back then as I do now. Um, and even at that, like to watch it now, it's like, me. I don't know. I, I, I watched it again, um, just recently, September 21st, actually. I, uh, sat down and took in all its B-movie gloriness, or glory, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the movie does star Linnea Quigley and Gary Doles. 
and it's uh, from a story by Fred Olin Ray. Remember that name? I think I talked about him on here before when I talked about the movie Evil Tunes. Um, it wasn't an actual review, but I did talk about the movie. And yeah, Fred Olin Ray, he's a bit on the trashy side. But hey, we love his movies. At least we try to. Um, this one, however has a special place in my heart. It's kind of a story about a, ba- uh, you know, a, a basic killer. It's a slasher movie. He's got a pumpkin for a head. His name is Jack. Jack O. And it's funny because, like, you know, in uh, mainstream pop culture, Jack O was the name that everybody started calling Michael Jackson when he went, whoo um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's an interesting movie. I mean, the... Supposedly, it's got some like mythology to it that you know he was um, he was killed generations ago, and he finds his way to come back every so many years for blood again, and blah blah blah. And I mean, it, is it a good movie? Well, let's put it this way: when Linnea Quigley's acting might be some of the best acting in the movie, and I mean no disrespect to Linnea, we love her, but. I mean, pretty much for, there's, at one point, there's about a two-minute scene of her just taking a shower, and we get to see the water run off her body, and that's two minutes of the runtime out of a movie that is uh, something like 90 minutes long. Um, yeah, so, anyways, the acting is, let's say, subpar at best, if that... But the movie's a barrel of fun and laughs regardless because you have to go into it approaching it that way. Um, The practical effects, yeah, some of the best dollar store blood you'll ever see, uh, but it works. Um, There's gags and there's a whole bunch of fun shit. But I think the reason why I found myself returning to the movie is because Jacko himself looks actually pretty cool. Um, Similar to... Maybe the pumpkin-headed killer in um, the barn it looks something like that a little bit better. I mean, this movie, okay, it's a 1995 movie. About nine years prior to this, we were treated with a movie called Spookies. They're about on the same level. I Obviously, the passion for Spookies with me is a little bit higher, but I... Jacko's just got that cool feel to it. Now, I, how I watched it, I should say, um, years ago, I came across, um, I was on some website or whatever, and it was like they had the streaming video, and then you could like download the movie from the link. And it wasn't a torrent or anything like that. It was like attached right to the site. But I remember <laughs> he was like, I'll download it. And I stored it away on an HD drive, like or a terabit drive, sorry, and forgot it was there. So I see Nostalgia Video post the VHS artwork, and I'm like, oh, I love that movie. Where can I stream it from? And I checked all over, and the only place you can stream it from is Amazon, but the United States site. And being here in Canada, they read your credit card number, and they go, no, you're from Canada. You can't watch this movie. And I was like, fuck, how am I going to watch this goddamn movie? And then I remember, oh, yeah, I have a download of it. Now, I mean, it's not the best download, but... 480p, I mean, hey, I'm not complaining, although it's a VHS rip, but it's kind of nice because it had that VHS look to it, and I'm like, alright, nostalgia. Um, (laughs) Also, it kind of helps with the effects because much like with Spookies, as much as I love Spookies, when it got the Blu-ray you know, touch to it, 
it kind of ruined some of those murky effects. Like you saw everything really clear and it's like, oh, it's not, it doesn't work on that level anymore. So with this, it was kind of cool. Um, now the word has it that Fred Olin Ray is currently remastering Jacko right now. Uh, Blu-ray release is scheduled for 2022. Um, whether that happens or not, well, who knows. But, I mean, I wasn't opposed to watching it in a grainy-looking, grindhouse-kind-of-feeling version. And, I mean, for the most part, the movie's quick-paced. You can't complain about it. It's fun if you approach it properly. Packed with some bloody effects and, obviously, some tits and ass. And, you know, for those who like their B-movies to be just that. You know what I mean? Um, Jack's back and he's hungry for your blood. I mean, it's, it's a fun movie. It's... Not great. I mean, at best, critically, maybe a 5 out of 10. Passion-wise, because it's just a nostalgia overload for me, it's like a 7 out of 10. But, I mean, it's not Squid Game. Oh, there we go. We'll just jump right into that. So, Squid Game. Squid Game. How many of you guys have watched Squid Game, the Korean Netflix series? Um, that was released, what, a week and a half ago? Have you watched this thing? (laughs) Um, wow. Um, yeah. So, I saw, I was on Instagram and I saw a couple people posting stories about Squid Game. And I saw some people posting, you know, in their feeds about Squid Game. And then I go on Facebook and I'm seeing the same thing. I'm starting to see this talk of this Squid Game show and the series and... I'm like, okay. And so I read up the synopsis and I'm like, all right, sounds like it might be worth it. So I marked it in, you know, my list as Netflix allows us to do. And that night I'm, I'm on my way to work. Buddy of mine picks me up. We're riding there and he's like, yeah, I just finished Squid Game. I'm like, oh, I've heard a lot of good things about it. He's like, you have to absolutely watch Squid Game. Yep. I'm going to say one thing though. And I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm just going to say this. Episode 6. There's nine episodes. Episode 6 is an episode called Gungbu. Yeah, I wasn't ready for that one. (laughs) So uh, all I'm going to say about Squid Game is this. Squid Game is, in essence, I've been seeing a lot of comparisons to this. So I'm going to make the same comparison, even though I feel it's sort of unjustifiably describes the show it's kind of like hunger games a little bit but from it's got a korean touch obviously um watch it subtitled i know there's english dubs and apparently the english dubs aren't that bad but honestly watch it the way it was meant to be watched watch it with the subtitles um i'll just say that it pulls you in right away it's very bizarre very colorful uh there's some nice color schemes to it um very bizarre. Just let it go. Let it do what it's supposed to do. By the end of the first episode, you're going to care about people you wouldn't even think you'd care about. By the end of the second episode, you're going to care about them even more. And honestly, some of these people you should not care about, but you will. By the sixth episode, watch it. Watch it. It's going to hurt. That's all I'm going to say. And from that point on, the show is just amazing. Um, rumors of a season two, possibly? Although Netflix hasn't made any um, commitments to that just yet, at least none that they've announced. But 
I will say that for the first time in a long time, I've actually watched a TV series that when it was done, I said 10 out of 10, and I'm still days later saying, yep, it's still a 10. Uh, <laughs> it's not perfect. There's a few spots where you're like, yeah, that's a little far-fetched. But it's entertaining as fuck. It is compelling. The writing is on it is on point. It is just amazing. Probably one of the best TV series events I've watched since that first season of Stranger Things. Honestly, like it's that good. So I wanted to mention that. I, I, I don't want to keep talking about it anymore, though, because I'm so afraid I will spoil something that I shouldn't spoil. Um, I will say that as well, Creep Show season three did uh, finally commence on Shutter. We got the first episode. Um, it was a two-parter, one like two uh, stories in one. Uh, what was the first one? It was something uh, I think it was called the Mums. I can't remember what the second one was called. Uh, basic story premises was uh, the first one is a mother is killed, taken away from her son, and she gets even in the afterlife. The second one is these three kids that are fascinated with some pop star. And a pop star is about to have a baby in their hospital in their city. And they want to get into the hospital to see their beloved pop star and whatnot. It was okay. Um, it wasn't great. I, I didn't walk away going, oh my god, we are in for the best season ever. But here's my thing at the same time. So, did I care for it? It was alright. But I'm just glad a show like this exists. You know what I mean? Like, we had Twilight Zone for two seasons, and that got canceled, so that's gone. Um, and Creepshow has managed to with like withstand it and get to a season three. Uh, Black Mirror, obviously, a lot of people would probably tell you that one's better than Creepshow, but Creepshow is what it is. It's it's campy little stories, uh, like. Uh, of this first episode, the first story is based on a story written by Joe Hill. So it's not bad. Like it's, it's worthwhile, whatever. I mean, it's just, it's a 45 minute show that passes the time and it's something that's not Marvel for once <laughs> because as much as I do love the what if series, I mean, it's like every Marvel series that ends, another one comes out and it's like, it's nice to have something that's not Marvel. Finally, before I jump into this week's movie review, which I should add, yes, what is this week's movie review? Well, it's a movie from 2019. It's a movie about haunted houses. It's a movie that came out a year after Hellfest. It's a movie called Haunt. And I don't want to say anything more because I'll save all of it for the review. But if you really want to get your haunt on, well, I'm I'm sure that uh, most of you hopefully were able to see it this past Friday night or sorry, Saturday night, Saturday night. But if you didn't, it'll be on demand very soon. So Elvira, Elvira, mistress of the dark, the queen herself made her return to horror hosting this past Saturday in her 40th anniversary. Very scary, very special, special, especially for you. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of cool. Uh, four movies that Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, picked herself. Being Mistress of the Dark being the first film. Uh, House on Haunted Hill was the second. City of the Dead was the third one. And Messiah of Evil was the fourth. It was definitely fun. Uh, done like movie macabre. Uh, also, there was um, 
shit. And I'm thinking it was like 2013, if I remember correctly, when uh, Hulu had the, it was the 13 Nights of Horror or something like that. And Elvira hosted those. And in those, in that, in that situation, she like kind of like the movie, like for example, Night of the Living Dead, they played Night of the Living Dead and every now and then her face would pop up on the screen and she would make a funny comment about something that just happened in the movie and then disappear. Right. They kind of did that. They kind of did like movie macabre where she would do an opening and a closing piece surrounding the film. And then like one right in the middle, they kind of did that. Um, I personally wish we had gotten a little bit more of Elvira, but what we got was gold. She had some really great one liners and shit. Um, she definitely cheesed it up like Elvira does. Uh, the Elvira that we, we've grown up with for 40 years, she was doing that and she looked amazing. She, you would not be able to tell that this woman has been doing this for 40 years. Like she, she has not lost a beat. She's still going strong. Um, I thought what was kind of cool. So going into this, and I knew the four movies, and for some reason, whatever reason, I thought I had already seen Messiah of Evil. And then when it started, it was the fourth film, and when it started, I was like, I've never seen this before. So it was actually really cool to have them end with that one because it kept me awake for the full marathon. Like, I'm not going to lie, like, during um, the third one, City of the Dead, which I've seen that movie several times, I have a feeling I might have nodded off once or twice because just, I mean, it was well over six hours of movies with Elvira. And it's like, it's a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. But six hours of just sitting there, you know, watching movies. I can normally do that. But, you know, it's still it. There were times when I was like, I felt the eyes getting heavy. I'm like, no, fight it, fight it. I've got to get through this. And I got through, I'd say, if I fell asleep, if I did, it might have been for about five minutes. It wasn't long. It was a little power nap. And, okay, I'm back. <laughs> but, um, yeah, when Messiah of Evil started, and then I realized, I'm like, oh, I've never seen this. I, it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, I found it really intriguing. I liked that it was kind of an artsy film. I've, like I said, I've never seen it. So, But I thought I had, you know, uh, the whole idea of the zombie-like monsters, but a bit vampirish at the same time. But, you know, they're turned into these zombies by this contagion oh gee that sounds relevant anyways moving on uh (laughs) the movie i saw was very much compared to carnival of souls and i see the comparisons with that one um but in terms of the marathon in terms of elvira's 40th anniversary special i enjoyed it like i said if i did not off it was five minutes tops it was just like one of those moments where it's like, I'm going to close my eyes for a sec, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, shit, no, wake up. Um, but other than that, it was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to them putting it on demand so I can watch each movie uh, separately and whatnot. Um, and as I wrote on Twitter, others have joined me in saying the same thing. We're hoping that this might be the beginning of another renaissance of another horror host. Uh, we did see this with Joe Bob Briggs. When he did his 24-hour marathon. And the next thing you know, we are now how many specials in and three seasons going into a fourth. I would love to see them do this with Elvira as well. I do find that these marathon things they do on Shudder are a lot of fun. They're they're nice to interact if you're into the live tweeting kind of thing. I was for a while. I don't do it as much anymore. But for quite a while there, I was having fun with it. Um 
it, and not to mention, it'd be nice. Okay, so let's say Joe Bob runs from like April till July, and then let's say Elvira picks up in you know August to November, and she you know or something to that effect. You know what I mean? Like like give us like ten weeks of Joe Bob, ten weeks of Elvira. There's twenty weeks of the year. That's half the year we get horror hosting to fun like to have fun watch like watching and stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it would be kind of cool. I'm hoping that this is, you know, shutter testing the waters like they did with that 24-hour marathon for Joe Bob. Um, and, yeah, like that's all I can basically say about it. I'm not going to really give it a rating. I mean, it, it was Elvira. It's a 10 out of 10. She's funny, witty, gorgeous, and did what we've known Elvira to do for 40 years. It, it was It was just, it was fun. And a nice choice of four movies well as well. Like I know she was kinda there's one at one point she quoted something saying, uh, if you need to know what this movie is about, it's about an hour and a half too long. Like it was kinda funny, like the little dig she was getting in there. But I mean I, all four movies are pretty much on point. I mean, City of the Dead alone, you have like a very, very young Christopher Lee that you're hearing the voice and you're like, That's not Christopher Lee. Like, look how young he is. <laughs> like he looks like he's a baby. Um but yeah, you know, and House on Haunted Hill. How can you go wrong with Vincent Price? I mean, how, seriously, how can you? Mistress of the Dark, the movie, is a fucking laugh fest. Like that's it's it's. I personally like Haunted Hills a bit better, but I mean, Mistress of the Dark is still a class act movie. So I don't know. It was a lot of fun. But now, 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 it is time to move on to our feature of the week. A feature that was uh, written by the guys who did A Quiet Place and produced by Mr. Horror Enthusiast himself, Eli Roth. Yes, um, this movie did not get the mainstream attention it probably could have deserved, but damn, it's a solid flick. Uh, from 2019, when we come back from the timeout. It's not a trailer timeout, because the trailer for this visually is awesome. Audio, not so much. Just a lot of screaming, <laughs> with a few people talking here and there, but it really doesn't give you an idea of what the movie's about. So what I've done is i picked one of my favorite scenes out of the movie, and I've incorporated that into what will be the timeout of the week. So it's a dialogue timeout this week. We're going to do a little bit of that when we return. We will talk about the 2019 movie. It was a Shutter exclusive known as Haunt. Back in a splat, kids. Where is everybody? Should have been out by now. Do you still want to see my face? What? Do you still want to see my face. It's whatever, man. I'm fine. Oh, why not? I just want to go home. Two, four, two, five, Lincoln Road. What? Because before you said you wanted to see my face. Now I was just wondering if you still wanted to see it. It's a bit of a work in progress, but, oh, I think you'll like him. Hey, boils and ghouls. Okay, before we get into the review of the week for the movie Haunt, 
I'm dialing it back to one more thing about Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, because she recently uh, released, uh, concurrently with her 40th anniversary of being Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, there's a new autobiography that came out called Yours Cruelly, The Memoirs of the Mistress of the Dark. And yes, I know the media is all hyped up on her, you know, coming out about her 19-year relationship with a woman and whatnot. I know that that's, you know, mainstream media for them. That's like, oh, my God, that's worth talking about. But there's a lot more to the book than just that. Uh, it's definitely worth the pickup. I haven't fully finished it yet, but I did see some of the photos I thought I would talk about quickly. You do get some cool photo shots in here, um, especially uh, there's one of her mother at 18 years old. And you can definitely see the resemblances between her and her mom. You can see there's a photo of her first time ever being Elvira. And she even states, like, you know, she hadn't uh, gotten used to the belt and the shoes yet and stuff like that. And uh, There's a picture of her with Vincent Price. There's a picture, a most recent picture of her with her dog. I believe the dog's name is Vinny. It's a cute little dog. So, um, but yeah, I, I wanted to mention about the book as well because the book is definitely worth checking out. Like I said, I know mainstream media, you know, they went with the whole... Oh my gosh, she came out of the closet. She's been in a 19-year relationship with a woman. And I mean, obviously, it's a big thing for her to come out about it. I do understand that. I'm not trying to belittle it by any means. But I think it also takes away from the fact that the book has a lot of great stories in it. And it's not just about her relationship. So, anyways, moving on to this movie. This movie of the week, uh, known as Haunt, um, had a few different premieres. The very first premiere for it was August 7th, 2019 at the Popcorn Frights Film Festival. And then uh, across the pond in the UK, it had a premiere at Fright Fest um, August 23rd. So 16 days later, it saw its uh, UK premiere. Here in Canada, uh, basically saw its wide release September 13th, 2019. Um, no, sorry. That was the limited... Um, release in the theaters in North America. Uh, the DVD premiere in Canada was October 15th. I got mine. Oh, when did I get mine? Um, earlier this year, anyways, I, I finally picked it up. It's kind of weird. The movie does have a Blu-ray release, but for some reason in Canada, it's really hard to find the Blu-ray. I could have ordered it from a United States website, but I wasn't in the mood to pay all the extra shipping and whatnot. So I have it on DVD. I'm satisfied with it. Uh, the movie itself is written and directed by Scott Beck and Brian Woods. Both guys are responsible for writing the screenplay for A Quiet Place. They are also credited for A Quiet Place 2 and A Quiet Place 3 uh, due to the characters that were created that have been furthered on into the later sequels. Well, part three hasn't come out yet, but is being worked on currently right now. They also worked on three parts of the TV series, 50 States of Fright. Um, I believe it was actually like a, a web thing. Uh, Quibbo, I think it was a Quibbo or Quibi or something like that with some streaming app. I believe it's already defunct as it is, but anyways, they had the, um, 50 States of Fright that you could watch on there. And uh, Scott Beck and Brian Woods worked on the three-part three series called Almost There, which was the Iowa segments of 50 States of Fright. 
I believe also Christina Ricci has been a part of that series as well, if I remember reading correctly, um, along with other celebrities, obviously. Uh, both Beck M. Woods also wrote and directed the modern Western film The Bride War Blood from 2006. The movie was produced by, famously, Eli Roth. Obviously, you know him from Cabin Fever, Hostel, Green Inferno, the list goes on, uh, History of Horror and whatnot. Um, but also, there were other producers involved. Uh, Mark Fasano was one of them. Uh, Angkor Rungta and Vishal Rungta and Todd Garner. Now, Todd Garner was uh, the one that was probably the most decorated. He uh, worked on... Um, something like 60 or 70 films, if I remember correctly. And two of them, two of the standouts was uh, The Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse and The Possession of Hannah Grace. The cinematography or director of photography for the film was Ryan Samuel, uh, who worked on other movies like Stakeland, which is a good one. That's a really good one. Uh, Hellbenders. Um, we Are What We Are. And he also worked on The Strangers 2, uh, Pray at Night, which was a review I did way back at the beginning of this whole podcast. Episode 7, was it? Or 8? It's around there. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head. Uh, music by Tom and Andy. And Tom and Andy has also done the music for The Mothman Prophecies, The Hills Have Eyes. Uh, P2, or Parking Level 2, uh, The Strangers, Resident Evil Afterlife, and Resident Evil Retribution. Everybody loves those movies, don't you? Uh, Sinister 2 and 47 Meters Down, just to name a few. And I will say, I know I make fun of the Resident Evil movies, but I'm not going to lie. I own them all, and I love them, even though they're horrible. Well, they're not horrible. They're just whew, way out in left field. Anyways, <laughs> and there's people like, no, man, they're horrible. Just admit it. Um, okay, starring cast for this movie, starring cast. Uh, let's start with Katie Stevens as Harper. Um, I, okay, I'm going to say this right now. A lot of the actors in this movie were up-and-comers. They haven't done a lot. The, I think there was maybe two actors that had more than 10 acting credits. So this is going to be very quick. Because a lot of this is, I'm going to name the actor or the actress and maybe one to two movies they've been a part of. Uh, with Katie Stevens, she was part of a movie called Polaroid. I have not seen it yet, but I've heard really good things about it. So it is, as they say in the horror genre, on the list. Uh, <laughs> Will Britton as Nathan. He also was in Kong Skull Island. Uh, Lauren McLean as Bailey. And she was a voice actress in Disney's Descendants, the Wicked World series. Um, she was also, oh, there was another Disney series she was a part of. She's done, like, voice acting primarily. Andrew Caldwell as Eben, who, uh, if you've seen this movie, he's the, um, the front piece of the human centipede. <laughs> I love that part. Uh, anyways, um... He was in several episodes of iZombie, actually, and he will be in the upcoming Matrix Resurrections. I'm also going to say at this point right now, I've still been very fortunate to avoid all spoilers of the Matrix Resurrections. I still have not even watched the uh, first released trailer. I'm trying to 
go until December without seeing anything. I want to be completely fucking surprised. Wish me luck because I can't turn my social media accounts off due to the fact that I have to promote this show. But <laughs> it's like, so far, so good. I've managed to avoid everything. Um, I do know, that, though, that Andrew Caldwell does have a role in the upcoming movie. Uh, Shazi Raja as Angela, and she was also in the TV series Salvation, and she was recently in six episodes of the TV show The Resident, which I haven't seen it. I see it, it whenever I'm watching football. They always uh, have promos for The Resident, but I'm, I'm not going to lie, I haven't watched it. Uh, one of those doctor shows and whatnot. Still, for me, House MD is the shit. But anyways... Skylar Helford as Mallory, and she's currently on the show Call Me Cat, the one with uh, Maya and Bialik. Although I don't know. I thought I read somewhere that the show was canceled. I'm probably wrong, but I thought I read somewhere that that show was canceled. However, it does show, it does show that it's an ongoing series, so maybe I just thought I read something and I didn't. Uh, Chani Moreau, or Moreau, sorry, as the ghost... And he was in the most recent Wrong Turn movie, and he was in another movie called On Location, which is like a horror comedy kind of thing. And then we have Justin Markson as the clown, and he was in the movie Collapse of the Living Dead. He plays the character of Edgar Henenlotter. Hmm, why does that last name sound familiar? As a matter of fact, the first name sounds kind of familiar too. Um, you know, Edgar Wright and all. Uh, and Linnea Quigley was also in that movie. And then we have Damien Maffei as the devil. Damien Maffei is probably the one that's uh, maybe the most well-known name um, because we don't always see his face. Uh, he was in The Stranger's Prey at Night. He played the, the sack man, the guy with the sack on his head. Uh, he was also in a movie called Christmas with the Dead. He was in Monsterland 2. He also was in that 2021 version of Wrong Turn, and he was in the movie On Location. Um, and finally, Samuel Hunt as Sam. Not hard to remember his name in the movie. Uh, he's mainly a soap, soap opera TV star kind of guy. He was uh, a recurring regular on uh, Days of Our Lives and in the TV show Chicago PD, which, if I remember correctly, he was... It, they did kind of like that um, backdoor pilot kind of thing with his character. He was on the... Um, is it Chicago FD or the fire department one? And then he was on Chicago PD. So anyways, that's that. That's your starring cast. Uh, the runtime is an hour and 32 minutes. It's rated R for horror, violence, gore, and language. And the budget was 5 million, but the box office gross was only 2.4 mil. Keep in mind it had a very limited release. And then it's uh, basically been a streaming and physical media release for the most part. The synopsis, I did a copy and paste straight from Shudder. And it basically goes like this. On Halloween, a group of friends encounter an extreme haunted house which promises to feed on their darkest fears. The night turns deadly as they come to the horrifying realization that some nightmares are real. And now for this segment of the show, I'm calling it Scares from the Extreme Haunt. Uh, which is kind of funny. Um, 
I'm also going to throw this out there. I recently, this was a couple of weeks ago. I think I actually mentioned it on the show already. If I didn't, well, I'm just smoking rocks. But <laughs> um, I watched the uh, the houses that October built, uh, parts one and two. I like part one better than part two, but they both were solid blicks and i'm i'm glad i picked him up i picked him up in the double dvd pack and whatever and i liked him but it, it they did a good job of showing the idea behind the extreme haunt and whatnot i mean i get it, it was supposed to be a found footage thing so they did they approached it differently this is an actual story that takes place with in the idea of the extreme haunt this i have to say I think they pulled it off pretty good considering if I compare the extreme haunts between both films, like they seem like they're basically on par and they seem somewhat similar. So I kind of like that. Um, The kind of cool. So the cool thing about this, yes, Scott Beck and Brian Woods, they wrote the script for a quiet place as well. The interesting thing is, is they wrote a quiet place and haunt at the same time. And they didn't think, either film would actually get made. Um, They were hoping, but they really weren't expecting it. And then go figure a quiet place goes on to be record breaking, you know, amazing opening and whatnot. So much as I've even done a review of that show, that movie on this podcast. And now, you know, a couple years later, I'm reviewing haunt. They're responsible for two really good movies that were on two different plateaus. One is considered, you know, uh, like low budget, you know, straight to streaming service kind of movie. And the other one, on the other hand, is like the big blockbuster. Yeah, both are really, really solid. Um, and it's kind of cool. They, they threw this in as sort of like a little Easter egg, I guess. There's a, the part in the film when um, all the characters, uh, their cell phones, you know, they're being checked out and whatnot. And if you look closely, I guess it's the second phone has a picture of um, the I-74 bridge. And that's it's apparently the bridge that connects uh, Bettendorf, Iowa, and Moline, Illinois, like, together. It connects the two. Um, and the directors are both from that area, which I guess is known as the Quad Cities. So... I didn't know that. I thought that was kind of cool when I found out. I was like, oh, shit. Like, so sort of like a little egg, like, you know, a nod to their home, their hometown areas and whatnot. Um, kind of, kind of creepy, I guess. The production for this film was stopped temporarily. Uh, which, when you actually think about it, Haunt came out a little bit, like a, like a year later after A Quiet Place. When I found this out, I was like, oh, that might make sense now why one came out later than the other. Uh, even though they wrote both of them at the same time and, you know, were basically directing this one. Anyways, production had to be stopped because there was a stabbing and the police, uh, apparently there was, um, well, there was a man that was stabbed and then there was a police shooting as well, uh, both within the area, which is near the Cal Poly uh, Pomona campus. And, uh, yeah, so the production had to be stopped temporarily for this, uh, which this movie was filmed in Fort Thomas, Kentucky. So as about the right area, but yeah, kind of creepy, I guess. Um, when you think about it, like, you know, real life kind of, you know, stopping this movie, but then do you kind of feed off of that negativity to make something positive out of it? Because this movie does very well with the creepy feeling. Um, 
And one other thing, so there is a flashback scene in this movie where we hear Harper's dad. Damien Maffei, who plays the devil, also did the voice for Harper's dad. So that's kind of cool. Anyways, this movie did premiere, uh, for the most part, for the most viewing audience, I should say, on Shudder. It's a, stream, it's a Shudder exclusive, streaming exclusive, whatever. In the year of 2019, this was the most watched uh, movie premiere on Shudder. I believe 2020 it was host. This one was for 2019. So that's kind of cool. Now, as for what I think of the movie, I've tried to break this down in the best way that I can to try and keep it all organized and whatnot. So we'll start off with the cast because for me, and I, I get that these are all up and comers. I'll also say that I actually really like them. They're not, it's not the best acting I've ever seen, but again, they're young, they're up and coming. Um, Katie Stevens is actually really good as Harper. I think she does a solid job. And Will Britton, even though he sort of comes off as like the typical, you know, college co-ed kind of male, you know, oh, hey, you know, I'm too cool for Halloween, so I forgot it was coming. But, you know, I put on my baseball uniform and now I'm a baseball player. And he, he kind of plays it off and whatnot. And, and yeah, it might be it might be seen as somewhat annoying, but I think he actually plays it off really well. And as the movie progresses on, these characters, there's not a huge growth in their characters. As a matter of fact, some of them, I'd go as far as to say they're somewhat one-dimensional. But in terms of Katie Stevens and Will Britton, I think they actually they ex- they excel a little bit higher than the rest of the cast. I'd also probably go as far as to say is Andrew Caldwell, his portrayal of Evan, which normally... This kind of character would be the type that would annoy the shit out of me. For whatever reason, I actually find him somewhat okay. Um, I did say he was the front piece of the human centipede. I find that hilarious. I think it's just because of the ridiculousness of the human centipede. So that you you and your buddies would actually think that this is a cool Halloween costume. Like poop poop in your partner's mouth kind of thing. Like yay, yeehaw. Um, No, but... I don't know. Like it's just, it's so funny because there's the scene where like he he wigs out and he hits the drink and the drink splashes all over Harper and Evan or uh, not Evan um, Nathan's kind of like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, this is fucking stupid. My costume sucks now because my two partners took off. And it's like, yeah, you didn't think about that beforehand. Like, but again, it it just kind of made me giggle. It was, it was, and it's some, it's a weird because it's like a joke that has actually grown on me the more I've watched it. The first time I ever watched it, I didn't even laugh. And each time I watch the movie now, it's like, it's kind of funny when you actually think about it. Like never plan your costume to involve someone else because if that person or those people take off, you're going to look really fucking stupid, (laughs) but I guess it kind of works. Um, in terms of the, you know, the, uh, the villains, so to speak, Damien Maffei, uh, he plays the devil on top of that. I think he's quietly becoming, um, another diamond in the rough of the genre of horror. Uh, you know, kind of like, um, okay. Like in terms of the scream Queens, you think about, you know, Brinky Stevens, Linnea Quigley, um, 
shit, uh, Kelly Maroney, Barbara Crampton, stuff like that. In terms of the guys, you know, Tobin Bell is one, for example, that stands out. A lot of people think of Tobin Bell, they think great horror flick, or at least something that, all right, I see his name, I relate to him, I'm going to check this out. I think Damien Maffei is slowly becoming the next name that when people are going to see him, it's going to be like, it's enough to pull me in and I'll at least give it a shot. Um, especially for the fact that you figure he's been in some of the better horror films or franchises as of late. I bring up The Strangers 2 and Wrong Turn. He's been in both of those, um, and both of those have great big followings. And then he's in this, and this movie has quietly been getting a huge cult following. So I think Damien Maffei might start putting his name in the top ranks of the horror genre. Um when it came to approaching this movie, the year before this, there was a movie that was released called Hellfest. And while not a horrible movie, and I, I really highlight that word horrible, Hellfest kind of lost me. <sighs> Again, and possibly because it was aimed at a more younger audience than myself. Because um, it really had like that CW-ish vibe to it. I didn't hate it. As a matter of fact, there's even a few parts that I really enjoyed. Uh, I felt that Hellfest tried a little too hard to be like the Funhouse, uh, Toby Hooper's film. But again, that CW-ish vibe. Um, and we've seen that with several films. Uh, Black Christmas in 2006 was another one that had that CW-ish vibe to it. But it kind of did its own thing as well. Um, so that wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't a horror. Again, one of those things where they're not horrible films, but... They're not barn burners for me either. It's not the kind of film that I'm like, oh my God, I must talk about this movie. Like Hellfest is kind of forgettable for me, honestly. Like I, I, I know I've seen it. I've watched it as a matter of fact, I think even twice. And I don't remember a lot of it. Um, it's kind of like that. So going into Haunt, I expected the same. I really did. Um, I kept my expectations low. I was like, okay, it went, pretty much went straight to streaming. I mean, like I said, it had a limited release. It was at film festivals. But again, it had that that straight-to-video kind of feel to it. You know, I, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't sure what to expect. And then I walked away rather impressed. And I was pleased to find out that, I, in my opinion, it was done much better. Especially considering it didn't get the hype that Hellfest did, nor did it get the hype that A Quiet Place got. Um, so when I looked at it that way, like Haunt would, again, like I said earlier, it went on to be the most streamed movie of 2019 on Shudder, and for good reason. And I think, that, I remember that was what pulled me in, was I was, you know, screwing around on Shudder the one day, and you know how, like, if you, especially if you're on the... Um, on the website, you can read all the different reviews that people leave behind and whatnot. I know you can do it on the app too, but I'm not one that likes staring at phones. So I do a lot of shit through my computer. And I was reading the reviews and everything was five stars, four stars. or Well, on Shutter it's skulls. So five skulls, four skulls, five skulls. And everyone's like, oh my god, this movie so took me by surprise. And I remember I was like, maybe I should give it a shot. You know, that's what got my attention. And the first time I saw it, like I said, I kept my expectations low. It was a step up from what I felt like a lot of movies at that time were coming out. Like like I said, a lot of that CW-ish vibe. It's kind of like in the 90s where we had like the, the teen movies that were sort of WB-ish, which is basically the same thing. Um, but, you know, like Sarah Michelle Gellar and Nev Campbell and, and Courtney Cox and all and Jennifer Aniston and all them. Well, not Aniston, really. She did 
Leprechaun, and then she was like, I'm all about friends. But no, um, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? Like the, the Jennifer Love Hewitts and the Freddie Prince Juniors and stuff like that. They, they were doing the 90s thing, and then the 2000s and 2010s, we were seeing a lot of like the CW kind of horror things coming out. Not that all of it was bad, but a lot of it always felt like it was in that five to six range. And when I first saw Haunt, I was thinking to myself, it was kind of like that, but there was just something egging at me. It was like, this is a movie I think I have to watch multiple times. Multiple viewings later, and a purchase of the DVD, obviously, my love for this movie has grown considerably. Um, As a matter of fact, it's one that I like referring to people now. I, I like recommending it to people. The more times I watch it, the more I appreciate it. The more I'm... Okay, best way to explain this. So, when it comes to this movie, I'm sort of of two minds. And I'm in of two minds when it comes to the villains in particular. We have the ghost, the devil, the zombie, the witch, and the clown. On one hand, I love the fact that, and I've said this before about other movies prior to, uh, specifically the original Halloween, because we didn't know much about Michael Myers. That's what made him scarier. With this... We don't really know much about these five characters. We know that they run a haunt and they're killing people. And that's about it. And I like that it kind of, it gives that unnerving experience because we don't know their motives. At the same time, then I'm sitting there and I watch this and I question things like, how did this quintet come to be? Why do they do what they do? Why do they run a haunted house, an extreme haunted house? And how do they manage to stay under the radar? There's many questions that come with this. And also, here's another one. If the haunt is of their creation, why are they so inept at keeping their prey at bay? Like, <laughs> quite honestly, when you think about it, I mean, by the end of the movie, spoilers, um, Harper wins. And the whole final girl trope, I get it. Yeah, like nothing is new about this movie. Let's keep that in mind. But the thing is, is that it's like, it makes me question how long have they been doing this? Like what's the experience factor? Because they're not good at keeping their victims under wraps. I mean, and okay. Yes. We know that when they show up, like when, when our group of five shows up, they hear the one scream outside and then there's like the one girl that gets killed. But how many people were there before? Was it just the two? I mean, maybe, you know, Maybe two people is easy for them to handle, but a group of five, all of a sudden it's a one-on-one battle and they're like, oh, we don't know how the fuck to deal with this. Like, it was kind of weird. Um, I do love the really confused layout of the haunted house. You kind of don't know where they are at time to times, like like in, 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 at certain times. And the other thing is, is like they're running this way, they're running that way. How big is this warehouse? How big is this this haunt? It seems like they run around a lot of different rooms and stuff like that. Some of them feel very confined, and there's that claustrophobic feel to it. At the same time, then there's other elements of the like the the haunt that seem really big. Um, the set pieces are well lit. I do like the bright colors they use. I like the color, like the what do they call it? The color palette, I guess. Um, the, the reds, the blues, the greens and stuff like that. They really stand out. Um, the one set I really enjoy. Well, there's a couple, but the one that really gets me is when, Oh, who is it? Is it, is it Nathan? I think goes into the one set where they have all the ghosts lined up 
on both sides of the room. And it's like there's like a corridor and there's all these ghosts lined up. And they make it seem like it's a bunch of mannequins, you know, till we find out that not all is so in that room. As one of the mannequins kind of walks away and moves off and and Nathan's screaming like, hey, one of our friends needs help and stuff like that. Like, I believe it's Nathan. Anyways, um, but yeah, like that that scene's really kind of cool. It's weird because it almost reminds me of the movie The Void, which I know you're like, they're not even on the same level. But just the idea of like the cloaks and the, and the white ghosts and stuff, it just seems really cool for me. Um, and I like the simplistic yet anxious tone it sets. You know what I mean? Like it's very simple. It, it, it's a room with a bunch of ghosts lined up, but it just seems so bland and pale that it's almost unnerving and i love that um the other part in the house well i like pretty much the whole house like the whole haunt or whatever but the the one scene where like you know our haunt seekers so to speak you know have to put their hands in the holes in the wall and describe what they feel on the other side yeah no uh no no (laughs) no um well done to the creative team i'll say that much and the actors played it off really well, but yeah, no, uh-uh, won't do it. And I mean, I, I'm all for a good gag. I'm all for, hey, let's go out and have some fun and shit like that. But the idea that not so much, okay, I know in this, someone grabs her hand and then they, you know, cut her up with razor blades. Just the idea of someone holding my arm on that other end, uh-uh, fuck you, get lost, don't touch me. <laughs> I already have a thing about being touched. I do not like people touching me. So, and my mind would run wild, like, I, which I, is the point of that, I get. But, I mean, my mind would just be like, nope, not happening. So, that scene really works well for me. Um, I do love the fact that the movie takes place on Halloween, I wish the kids were a little bit more enthusiastic about it. Um, you know, like I said, like Nathan there is like, yeah, I didn't even know Halloween was here, but I put on my baseball uniform and now I'm a player and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. In Harper's case, I get it. You know, abusive boyfriend just broke up, worried he might follow her. Yeah. Fucking men. We get it. We're assholes. Um, so that part is somewhat believable. Um, because yeah, fucking men. I don't know, you're like, you are a dude, dude. Yeah, well, I know my kind. Um, But yeah, the score is solid. I'll say that. The music score is really solid. The pacing is done really well. I like something, a story that comes out about this, uh, about the creative process, was that Beck and Woods both told, uh, or sorry, they both had advice given to them from Eli Roth. He said, when it comes to this movie, slow burn. Blush out your characters. And they sat there and they said, okay, we agree, but to a certain degree. Their thing was, was we'll flesh out these kids. We'll, we'll roll with it for a bit, but we're not spending a Zack Snyder movie length just to introduce that Katie Stevens is Harper. And I know I'm speaking on behalf of their, and you know, on behalf of what they said, but of course you get the point. The thing is, is that they weren't going to spend an hour to an hour and a half introducing characters and then give you that final bang of kills. Eli Roth is the kind of guy that would do that. Zack Snyder is the kind of guy that would do that. Beck and Woods were like, no, we'll go about 40 to 45 minutes, you know, introducing, driving some plot points and stuff like that. But then once the movie gets rolling and we get the haunt underway, there's no holding back. 
We're going to bring on the suspense. We're going to bring on the thrills. We're going to bring on the jumps. We're going to bring on the cuts and the bruises and the blood and the gore. And we're going to have fun with this movie. And even though none of it is really new, it still works on a really solid level. And I love that they did that because yes, Eli Roth kind of gave them some coaching points, but at the same time, they still did it their way. And I love that they did that. I think a lot of other people would probably agree with me on that. Rotten Tomatoes lists the movie um, basically as that haunt is spooked by the spirits of its obvious influences, but still packs enough thrills and chills to satisfy horror fans up for a haunted house excursion. And the current rating for it is like 69% average rating of 6.2 out of 10. I think that's safe to say that a lot of people really like this movie. Um, And IMDb has the movie holding at a 6.3 out of 10. Now for the podcast zero rating. And I tried not to be too wordy when I was thinking this out. I mean, because honestly, I've said a lot already. So there's not a lot that I have to reiterate. But I will say it's got great pacing um, once the haunts get rolling, which is basically what I was just talking about. Yes, they flesh out the characters enough so that you'll care about them a bit. Like I said, it's primarily Harper and Nathan are the two that you're going to care about. Possibly Evan. But the other characters are there. And don't get me wrong, you you do feel bad for them, like what they're going through. Like especially the one girl that's like terrified of spiders. And you know what happens to her. Um, (laughs) But I mean, the pacing is solid enough for what a movie that's 92 minutes long it doesn't feel like it's much longer than 92 minutes. So that's good. Decent acting. Okay, you're not going to get no Fangoria Chainsaw Awards or anything like that. But at the same time, no Razzies either. Nobody's really horrible in this. Would we like to see more of the villains and see them sort of fleshed out a little bit more? Maybe. But then again, maybe that's where the sequel comes in. I personally am okay if we don't see a sequel to this. But we probably will. I know eventually it'll happen because that is the way of the horror genre. A good effective score, nice use of lighting, the use of color. Like I said, I like the color palette for this movie. The haunt itself, the haunted house, is great. Um, I probably wouldn't have entered it myself being it was kind of like in the middle of nowhere with no one else around. And not to mention... How do they find it? Because Harper thinks her boyfriend is following her. So she has them pull off to the side of the road to see if he'll drive by. And the next thing you know, this sign lights up and it's like, oh, hey, we found that haunted house we were looking for. That's a little too coincidental to me. For me, that's where I sit there and I go, uh, no, I'm not putting my arm in the hole. I'm not walking into this haunted house. And not to mention, like, they walk to this haunted house and the guy right away is like, you have to give up your cell phones. It's like, um, no. Uh, like, and I'm not a cell phone guy and I'm still going to sit here and tell you no. Um, so I don't know. I, I like it. Um, I do like the haunt. I, like I said, I wouldn't be the kind of person that would enter it, especially when you have to consider they show up there and there's no one there. Like, I mean, you hear the one girl screaming and then once they're in the haunt, they see the one girl die. But for a haunted house, like where is everybody? Like, I mean, it, I don't know. At ha- on Halloween night of all nights, that's the other thing. It's like Halloween is the one night that place should be fucking booming. If there is nobody there but two other people aside from my group, I'm not walking in there. <laughs> um, of course, then again, I'm the guy that walks into a theater when there's three people and says this is heaven. So who knows? Maybe that was the way they were approaching it. All in all, I will say this. 
this movie has grown on me and it grows on me with more like with every viewing with every viewing i find that i love the movie more and more and it's one that now has actually become like a tradition of halloween week you know though i pretty much watch it any time of the year and since it's been released i think i've watched it at least half a dozen times already possibly even more and like I said, with every with every time I watch it, I appreciate it more and more. And it's currently, in my mind, it's uh, standing at seven live spiders falling on your head out of ten. You know what scene I'm referring to. If you've seen this movie, which, I, let's be honest, if you listen to the review this far, you must have seen this movie. Because I spoiled a lot, I talked about a lot, and <laughs> unless you're like I was when I was, you know, five years old, where, or, well, even in grade school and whatnot, up until I was like 13, 14, up till I was 33, I really didn't care about spoilers. If people told me things about movies, I was like, oh, okay, cool, I'm still going to watch a movie. Um, but it is what it is, like, like I said, seven live spiders falling on your head out of ten. <laughs> I know, it's a lot to say, but I love that spider scene, and I didn't even talk about that very much anyways and on that note thank you for listening um thank you for tuning in i know i'm a little over the top with that but whatever um that's my nick cage moment we'll call it that uh no uh thanks for tuning in thanks for uh stopping by for the show this week and kind of went with the traditional feel of the show i know last week i did the um the bargain bin episode which i will be doing a bit more of those in the future um that was kind of fun actually i have some ideas on how i want to tweak it up a bit but i want to definitely approach you know the shows from you know different viewpoints and different uh formats and stuff like that kind of keep it fresh so but i want to thank you for listening um I'd tell you where to find the show, but you already know because you're listening. But the, here's the thing. So somebody says to you, where do you listen to it? Where, where can you find it? Um, you can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Apple. You can find it on Google. CastBox, which uh, is it Cast? No, Podcast Addict. I recently found out I have 10 followers on there. There's 10 people following the show. That is awesome. To you 10 people, I love you. Thank you. Thank you so much for following the show through Podcast Addict. I was like, that is awesome. Um... I know on Apple, Apple, I have uh, four reviews. Thank you. Or not reviews, but like someone gave me like a, a, a four ratings. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, I don't ask for much. You know, I, I don't need, you know, 10,000 people raving over my show. Every little one of you is awesome to me. So thank you so much for that. I know I have followers on Podbean. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, it's so It's so awesome. Like, because I... When I, even when I back when I started this show, I didn't think it would really stand out to anybody because there's so many horror podcasts. And then to find out I have followers and I have people that are actually following the shows on different streaming apps, that means a lot to me. So thank you so much, guys. And I mean, not to mention the social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I know Twitter, <laughs> if you've been following my Twitter lately, uh, my posts seem to be uh, related towards the Chicago Bears lately. Yeah, we're, we're not happy fans right now. So um, as much as I've been like kind of, you know, still doing the horror thing, you might notice a few tweets to like Good Morning Football and the Chicago Bears and stuff like that. Don't be surprised and just ignore it if it's not your, you know, your wheelhouse or whatever. I get it. I, for me personally, I'm just a Chicago Bears fan who's tired of shitty fucking coaching. Get rid of our coach now. Thank you. Um, 
so yeah that's that's that uh like i said facebook instagram twitter you can find the show there um i'm going to say now uh in terms of format show will probably stick with the same kind of format but now moving into october is theme month uh the next episode will start the theme uh, i talked about this a little bit earlier i'm basically calling um the next several episodes the monster october creatures of halloween 2021 um, event i guess it was kind of event uh, just four more episodes to the show uh we'll be starting with the 1931 classic frankenstein yes we're gonna be doing frankenstein i know i already i, I know someone will be like well you kind of already did frankenstein because you did bride of frankenstein yes but that was a while ago and this is now and being I've already done Dracula gotta go with the next big guy right you, you gotta start it off with a bang uh, the one I'm finishing out the event with is uh, definitely one that I it, it took me a bit to figure out the order I was gonna do these in so I think I'm saving the best for last in, in terms of my opinion anyway so but we'll start off with Frankenstein that will be the next episode. We're going to close out this episode with a music track because it's one that grew on me um, as much as this movie did. The first time I heard it, I wasn't completely grabbed by the this version of the song. And then the more I've heard it, the more I really enjoy it. So um, an artist by the name of Lizzie did a cover version of Rob Zombie's Dragula. And that's what we're going to close out this show with. Uh, again, thank you so much for tuning in. When we return in the next episode, it will be the Monster October Creatures of Halloween event for 2021. It's a, Hall- it's a Halloween event that I'm looking forward to doing. So next episode, we're, uh, we're going to raise the dead in what some people don't realize is kind of a zombie movie. Frankenstein. Anyways, alright. It's time to sign off the show. You know what to do, buddy. You need to shut the fuck up! Hey, lick my plate, you dog dick! <laughs>